Good morning on this Tuesday morning. Welcome to our devotional, Golden Nuggets, Food for Thought, and for the Imagination. Yesterday we left off talking about Elijah, the prophet. And of course he's a predecessor to Elijah, uh, having received the double portion. And when you actually do a case study, he actually wound up having twice as many miracles fulfilled in his ministry. And that included 13 up until the day he died. And after his death and he was buried, uh, they tossed the man that they were carrying. Uh, wound up uh, hitting his bones and the man was revived and actually was raised up from the dead. But anyway, we're talking about this prophet and his relationship to the king, Joash. And it says, starting in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 13, verse 14, 15, 16, and onward, we have this little short story here, but it's rich, especially when it comes to obedience. And this involved the hands of the king in his obedience. And this is also going to be an example for us, for the New Testament, when someone is told to do something, and partial obedience does not quite cut it. It's not enough. You wind up shortchanging yourself by doing that. It says in the book of 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14, Now Elijah was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. In other words, whatever the sickness the prophet had, he wasn't healed from it. And he did die from it. Of course, he is going to be buried. But before this event actually takes place and he dies and is buried, it says, And Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him. <coughs> Excuse me. And wept over his face. And said, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And of course, this also has reference to his predecessor that had been caught up in a whirlwind up into heaven when the chariot and the horsemen of fire uh, actually came. Now, it says in verse 15, And Elijah said unto him, Here, Remember, he's on his deathbed. He's dying. But yet he's still trying to fulfill whatever work that can be fulfilled in those last few minutes, those last few seconds of the individual's life to accomplish something great that can last for days, weeks, months, and even years. So most likely guided by the Lord, he tells the king, take, he said unto him, take bow and arrows, not one arrow, but many arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. Okay, he was obedient up until this point. And then the prophet tells him, and he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elijah put his hands upon the king's hands. There's nothing like having the hands of the master upon your hands. When you're doing a work for the Lord, as He is leading you, as He is guiding you. Now, you may have to stop and think about this a little bit. 
But consider, even in the book of uh, Hebrews and also in the book of uh, Mark, the scripture says concerning the work that the disciples were given, they were given by the Lord Jesus himself, they were given a commission to accomplish and do something. And they were told in the book of Mark in chapter 16, verse 15 onward, it says, And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Notice verse 19 and 20. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. Yes, we say we're working for the Lord, but here it says the Lord working with them. In other words, kind of like what Elijah was doing with the king. And remember, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are, by God's predestination for our lives, we have been selected both as kings and as priests unto God. And the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following. Now, this also is demonstrated to us as a second uh, witness in, in the scripture in the book of Hebrews. In chapter number 2, starting with verse 1, <clears throat> we find also that they are told to do something. And it says, actually starting with verse number 4, and uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and read that. And God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and divers miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. God bore them witness. Not only was he working with them, he was the one that was giving witness and testimony through them as to what the gospel was all about. Well, when we get back to the story, it says, and... He said to the king of Israel, Put your hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elijah put his hands upon the king's hands. So that means that he put one hand where he was holding the bow. And he put another hand where he was holding the string that was pulling the bow. So if you can picture it in your mind. Think of the bow in one hand and the string being pulled with the other. And imagine the hands of the prophet. This prophet that had been anointed by God with a double portion of his predecessor is now laying his hands on the hands of these individuals. Of this individual, the king. And as he lays his hand upon him, he says to him in verse 17, and he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elijah said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and 
the arrow of deliverance from Syria. Thou shalt smite the Syrians in a, a fact till thou have consumed them. Okay, so here's where it gets interesting. He shoots the arrow, and it's called the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, just like it was called the sword of Gideon and the sword of the Lord. So we have a combination of him working with him as the Lord working with them, as the Lord working with us. But notice, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. It's got two things that it specifies there. For thou shalt smite the Syrians. He is prophesying as to what he is going to do. The arrow has been shot through the window that had been opened. And now he tells them in verse 18. And he said, take the arrows. So who knows how many arrows he had in his quiver. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel. Smite upon the ground. And he smote three times and stopped. In other words, he was told by the prophet. Just hit the ground. He didn't tell him how many times. But the faith of that man, the belief and the trust of that man and what the prophet was saying, that it was God speaking to him, would have meant that he said, hey, every single time that I strike the ground is every single time that I am going to strike the Syrians. Every single time I hit the ground will be every single time that we are delivered. But he shortchanged the miracle. And only hit the ground three times. And the man of God, verse 19, was angry. He was wroth. He was upset. He, 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 according to the Hebrew word that is used there, he broke out in rage. He was angry. He was angry with the king and said unto him, Thou should have smitten five or six times. Then thou, then hast thou smitten the Syrians till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite the Syrians but three times. Now stop and consider this act of faith that he was going to do. But he only went partially part of the way. Now the reason I mention this is because when we talk about when Jesus gave the command to Peter in the book of Luke, we find a similar thing. And it almost cost them their business simply because they didn't follow the full instructions. We also have the widow woman of the book of Second uh, Kings in chapter 4 that the prophet had died and had left her and her sons in debt. And the prophet told her, go and borrow from your neighbors all the empty vessels that you can find. And once you find them, close the doors of your house and pour the little vial of oil. And she poured and poured and poured and poured and poured and poured until there was nothing to pour into anymore. And the oil ceased to pour. 
Now stop and think about it. The limit that she had pertained to the limit of the empty vessels that they would have present to fill up. And then the miracle ceased. God didn't want the oil to just continue and go to the ground and waste, especially at the quality that God was creating that oil to fill those vessels. The same thing when he told Peter, uh, you know, they've been fishing and they had been working on their nets. And he tells them, you know, I'm going to borrow your boat. I'm going to preach for a little bit. And uh, when I'm done, I want you to cast your nets into the water. Well, by the time he responds to the Lord, somewhere in the midst of all of that, it says in the scripture that the Lord spoke to him and said, Now when he had left speaking, and he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. In Luke chapter 5, verse number 5, we just read verse 4, it says, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have not taken a thing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Notice the net. Well, tomorrow, with the Lord's help, we'll continue on that. We'll actually do the whole story. So we can get the full picture of it. But here we have an understanding of what happened with the prophet and with the king. The prophet no longer was going to be around. In other words, right now is the opportunity. Just like when Elijah was going to leave and was going to be caught up. I asked for a double portion of the spirit that was upon him upon my life. A double anointing. And he got it. Now he's getting ready to depart. And he does the same thing to the king. He says, King, right now is your opportunity. My hands are upon your hands. Now is the opportunity not only to avenge, but to have the Lord's total and complete deliverance from this enemy that seems to continually consume and attack. Had he done that, then you would have had other kings that wouldn't have had to deal with the mess that was left behind simply because it was not done. Now, we're running out of time, but we can throw Saul in there when God told him, hey, I want you to get rid of uh, the Amalekites and, you know, uh, the king of the Agites, and I want you to accomplish all this. And he comes back and he tells Samuel, oh, I did exactly as the Lord said. Uh, you know, I killed everybody off, but he didn't. He still saved the king. Uh, the people saved the best of the animals. But anyway, before I get ahead of myself, we're actually run out of time already. Join us tomorrow on Wednesday as we continue on this subject. And we'll look at it a little further. But until then, consider it food for thought and for the imagination. Keep looking up every single day, even if it's cloudy. Keep looking up. Our redemption draweth nigh, and Jesus is coming soon. The Lord richly bless you. Amen.